All right, guys. Well, let's let's open up in prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time in His Word. Father in heaven, we thank you for letting us gather tonight, and we pray that the time that we spend in Your Word would be beneficial to us knowing You more, to us growing in grace. That You would use the preaching of Your Word, this means of grace, as the method for sanctifying us and for uh, unite for reminding us of your gospel. Lord, we need you to understand your word in our own strength, our own ability. Uh, we know that we are not um, able to rightly discern who you are and what your word says. So Holy Spirit, please guide us and glorify Christ tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, so please open up to Judges chapter 15. We have another 20 long verse section before us tonight. More developments in God's deliverance of the nation of Israel are before us, and we see again the continued faithfulness of God to his covenant people once again through the man Samson. And just like last time, uh, this isn't a nice, clean, and tidy story. That's okay uh, for most of us. Our lives aren't always nice, clean, and tidy stories. I mean, we just got done living through a year of insanity with all this COVID stuff, for example. Uh, we deal with sin in our lives. We deal with the consequences of our sin. Every single one of us is born into this world as a, as by nature, a child of, of wrath, Ephesians 2 tells us. It is inevitable that we will sin and make a mess of our life on some level, every single one of us. Others more spectacular than others, of course. Uh, Samson obviously is spectacular. And that's another thing, too. Uh, the sin that we often do doesn't just affect us only. It also impacts others. It also affects others as well. And the sinful choices that other people make often will impact us and affect us. That's one of the reasons why God's law is necessary for us. The second table of it, the last six commandments, they instruct us on how it is that we are supposed to love our neighbor, to love our fellow man. God's law instructs us to love other people. We don't have to wonder what's the right way is to treat someone. God's law tells us how to do that. But nevertheless, we are born in sin. And even as Christians, people who have been born again, people who have a true desire to glorify the Lord and keep his law, we still are going to have a struggle with sin. We're still going to have to contend with sin because our nature has fallen in Adam. So Job 14.1 says that man is born and has short days that are full of trouble. And really, it's only by the Lord's grace when we don't have trouble. And there's certainly trouble in our passage tonight. That's a continuation of the troubles that began in chapter 14. I saw a Valerie Warner Hotness Express shirt because... <laughs> All aboard. <laughs> so Samson does some amazing things. His his exploits are certainly fantastic. And it's really easy with a story like this and events like this to have just our, our focus on Samson. And certainly it's going to be on Samson to an extent. He does, again, he does some amazing things that are recorded in this chapter. But the point of it all isn't to say, look how amazing Samson is. That's not the goal. The goal is to say, look at how amazing God is. Look at how amazing Jesus is. And you see, God is working through these exploits of Samson to bring about his very own will. And make no mistake, these are things that Samson wants to do. They are the things that the Philistines want to do. 
they all must own their actions, just like we also are never forced or manipulated to do the things that we do by God. We all we operate, we do what we want according to our will. But God, in his eternal decree, is working through our choices, and he's doing that here with these Philistines and Samson as well, like we've been reading. And so God is sovereign. He's accomplishing his purposes, and in this text, uh, and God himself, and the things that he is accomplishing, they mustn't be forgotten by us. We read um, of these things happening in this chapter. They're meant to tell us about how God is working. Our eyes need to be on the Lord himself. So there are three natural selections and outline, if you will, in chapter 15 that we'll use to break down the chapter. First, we see Samson's revenge in verses 1 to 8. And then we read of Samson's betrayal in 9 to 17. And then lastly, Samson's saving in 18 and 20. So we'll look at each section one at a time. So we'll begin with verse 1, the word of the Lord. It says, after some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timonite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistine came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck him, or excuse me, he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow and went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at Etam. So you need to remember a little bit of the context from last week to understand what's happening here, don't you? There was a wedding in the last chapter and Samson basically played a trick on the Philistines that it would guarantee him humiliating them and getting 30 outfits from him like these 30 sets of these really nice clothes that only a person would typically only have one of. And so he has this impossible riddle related to a lion that he had just killed, and nobody knows the answer to this riddle. Only Samson knows the answer to this riddle. And these these men who are in the wedding party of his wife, they are in a position of about to be humiliated, and they really want to find out what the answer to this riddle is. They, they, they have seven days to guess it. And then on the fourth day, they go to the wife and they say, you need to tell him to tell us to tell you what it is, and then you tell us. And over the next two days, three days, she she keeps asking him and asking him, and finally, he tells it to her. Tells her the answer to the riddle, and they tell Samson, and Samson goes off the, um, the handle. Uh, remember, she was going to get killed. If she didn't tell them the riddle, they were going to burn down her and her house and her father's house as well. And so Samson goes into a rave. Anyway. I know, we'll get to there. Samson after losing this bet, flies into a rage. He goes into a neighboring town. He kills 30 Philistines that are like totally unrelated to the story, takes their sets of clothes, gives them to these other guys, and he's angry, and he goes back to his father's house. He leaves angrily. That's where we are. It's only about four miles from his house to Timnah, where his wife is. And it's strange that he leaves his wife there. She doesn't come with him. She stays in Timnah. And all is quiet in Timnah, and this, but the seeds of division have been planted between Israel and Philistines, and the Philistines. And God's not going to let his, his people have fellowship with the world. He'll drive a wedge 
between these groups because light has no fellowship with darkness. We talked about that last week. And so it's all quiet in Timna now, but that peace that they have there isn't going to last for long. Samson serves kind of like a type of Israel. Remember, we, we talked about that. He's like a representation of them. He does what is right in his own eyes. And so he ends up marrying this Philistine woman. He yokes himself to a Philistine, just like how Israel had yoked themselves to the Philistines as a nation as well. But now God is bringing division between Israel and the Philistines. And Samson and his wife are divided as well. They're not even staying together. Some commentaries would actually say that it may actually have been the custom in Palestine or with these Philistines that the husband would go off and leave his wife in another town. I don't really think that's true though or I don't think that's the case it's kind of they don't, there's no there's no good evidence to say that certainly happened but they they think that it might because but I don't think that's the case here anyways because in the eyes of her father the marriage was over in the eyes of her as well too right I, Samson doesn't even know it yet but her dad gave her in marriage to Samson's best man who was one of the people that she knew before she knew Samson even and now Samson comes back and he, apparently he wants to kiss and make up in, in lieu of flowers, he brings a goat. He's, he's wanting to reconcile. It's kind of a weird thing to bring, but I mean, it's culturally, it's what we would expect, I would think. In the book of Judges, though, it's not a book about God being okay with Israel living and reconciling with uh, the, these pagans intermingled among them who hate God. But this is the old covenant. God has set aside this nation with the purpose of bringing the Messiah into the world through them. And it was not just, it was not righteous for Israel to live at peace with these people who hated the one true God. For us, though, the church, we might call spiritual Israel, we would say it's different, right? Uh, we do live among pagans. We do live in a society with people who don't love the Lord. We don't have fellowship with them. We're certainly not supposed to marry them. Someone who doesn't, not supposed to marry someone who doesn't love the Lord, although sometimes it happens to where you have two people who don't know the Lord and then one of them will be saved and now you have this relationship where one person is a believer and the other is not. Uh, Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians as well. And also we are in the world, but we're not of it. And we do have a ministry of reconciliation. Uh, that's what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, that we who are now rightly called Israel live in the world and among pagans, in other words, among people who don't love the true God. And our aim, our goal is to bring this ministry of reconciliation to them, to see them reconciled unto God as well. But that's not the way that it was for the Old Testament. People could convert to the true God back in this time. They'd have to you know, be circumcised, have to come under all that Old Testament law, though. That primarily wasn't the the issue for them as this nation of Israel here. They were supposed to push these people out. They were supposed to be holy and be a light to the world to um, say who God is. So God is working through these events not to have Israel and Philistines, the Philistines reconciled. He's working in them in this situation to liberate Israel from the Philistines. It is better for God to be over Israel than it is for the Philistines to be over Israel. But Israel can't see that because of their sin. And so they're acting foolish, and so God is going to show them. Now, I feel bad for the dad of Samson's wife. Remember, we don't know her name even. But I, I feel bad for this guy. I don't know about you guys. you got to think, he thought he was never going to see Samson again. Uh, Samson just murdered 30 dudes in a city nearby, and then he leaves angrily. He's, you know, he, he leaves the, the wife that he just married. 
he, so this guy knows Samson's not to be messed with. And now here he is, Samson's back at his door, and he wants an audience with his wife. So he says to Samson, I really thought you utterly hated her. I, I believe him. <laughs> I mean, of course, right? Who calls his wife a cow on the seventh day of their marriage and then just disappears for, for who knows how long? Uh, Samson is Samson is just waltzing back in here as if like chapter 14 didn't even exist. So the dad probably is a mixture of scared for his own life, right? Because Samson just killed 30 dudes in the town over. And he's also feeling bad, probably, I think a little bit, for giving his daughter to another man, even though I can see why he did it. And so he offers Samson his other daughter, the little sister. And it's interesting because the dad straight up roasts his older daughter in a way. He's like, hey, look, look at the younger sister. She's way more beautiful than the older, than the older sister. Like, you can have her in marriage. She's prettier. Why don't you just take her and it'll be no problem. So he's probably he's probably scared again of, of having Samson and his immediate strength come upon him and his household. But he's also probably you know trying to make things right. Because even obviously here the Philistines have a sense of right and wrong. Right? Even though these aren't God's people, they have the work of the law written on their heart by the light of nature in man. Uh, they understand something's right or wrong. So they, he understands that, that there's an offense here and he's trying to make it right. And so at this point, you might think that Samson is just going to jump all over this. He's going to be like, all right, I got myself a younger, more attractive wife now. I, what did he know about the older sister when he married her? All we read was that she was beautiful in his sight, and, or how the ESV translates it, that she was right in his eyes. And remember last week I was saying that the ESV is, I think, prefer, a preferable translation at that point because the author – is setting up Samson as a picture of Israel who wasn't seeking God, but they were simply seeking to do whatever was right in their own eyes. Because look now, here's the younger sister. She's more beautiful, and yet Samson doesn't even want her. Nobody can tell Samson who to marry, apparently. It's just his pride. His parents couldn't tell him who to marry. His wife's dad couldn't. And this sets, which is kind of weird, of course, but this sets Samson off, and he's enraged again. And the Proverbs are, of course, right. In chapter 6 of the Proverbs, uh, there's a warning against adultery. There's a warning against sleeping with another person's wife. And verse 34 and 35 says this, For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse you, though you multiply gifts. And God is going to bring division again between these two peoples. It's interesting. Verse 3 says, Sam says, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. It seems like he realizes he was in the wrong before, right? Does it, it kind of seems like that, uh, that his anger got the best of him. But now he just, he feels justified in his anger. And look at this plan. It is wild. Makes sense, though, because Samson is wild, I guess. He catches, exactly, good point. He, he catches 300 foxes, more likely it's probably jackals, I guess, I guess in Hebrew, the same, same word for each animal. And there's, there's both jackals and foxes in that area of, uh, of Israel. And the reality is, though, is that foxes are more solitary, jackals live in packs, and are probably a little bit easier to catch. And so, well, it's the work of the Lord, right? How, how in the world, that's, that's, that's the thing you should know, is this, this is the work of the Lord. How does he just capture 300 jackals? 
and then catch him so quick like this. That's not normal. This is God still working. And so he gets a rope and he gets this rope and who knows how long it is. Probably I would guess somewhere like around six feet, not super long. And then he ties a torch in the middle of it so the ends are open. And he takes the ends and he ties each end to a different jackal. So these two jackals, there's 150 sets of jackals with a torch uh, tied to them and he lights them on fire. And you can probably picture it in your mind, right? Like all these jackals running back and forth because they're attached to each other. So they go and then it pulls and the thing's on fire and they go through all the grain yards, all the grain areas and the orchard tree. And it's just sets everything ablaze. And there's a detail in the text that's kind of easy to glance over, but it'll help us to see what God's doing here. This is God's judgment upon the Philistines. We read, read that Samson came to Timnah at the time of the wheat harvest, right? That's how it opened up in 15 verse 1. It seems like an unnecessary detail, but it's not. Where where was it that Samson set the foxes loose? In the wheat fields. In the stacked grain, which would be the harvested wheat, and then in the, the um, standing grain, the not harvested, and as well as the olive trees as well. And so remember, God does not want peace with the Philistines. Now there's probably, there's, you know, that, that's not the intent of what he's doing here. Peace with the Philistines at this point meant that Israel would worship their gods and abandon Yahweh. And who is the Philistine god or gods? Who is that? Baal, so actually, he's not the highest. Baal, he has a dad, and, it's just, and the dad's name is Dagon. And we read about Dagon in the next chapter, in chapter 16. But guess what Dagon, he's their, he's their chief deity. And guess what one of the things that he did for them, that they looked to him as the provider of grain. So he's, he's the provider of grain. Samson comes here at this time at probably the height of you know, their religious worship of Dagon because they're harvesting the wheat. They see this as a gift to them from their false god, Dagon. And God, in his plan of separating Israel from the Philistine, delivers basically a knockout punch to Dagon at the same time. You see that. Uh, look what else would burns. punch would probably be when Dagon fell. In the next chapter. Yeah, yeah, that, that, we'll get there too. But look at, look at what else burns. The olive, the olive orchards. Have you ever heard someone say, like, I'm going, I want to extend an olive, an olive branch to you? What does that mean? Peace, right? It means he wants peace. And so look what God has done in starting to make this wedge between the Philistines and Israel. He not only does that, but he also says, look, I can't have any fellowship with Dagon. There's no peace between Dagon and Yahweh. He burns all, he, he burns this offering that was, you know, for Dagon and from Dagon. And then he, the, all the trees go down as well. It's like he's saying there's no peace for me and this, this, this God, no peace for me and these Philistines. And so Samson has his revenge on the Philistines, and Yahweh makes a statement about Dagon, their false god, and from here it just takes another turn south. Samson has his revenge, but it doesn't get the response he was hoping for. It doesn't uh, elicit the effect that he was wanting. And again, I just feel bad for Samson's wife's dad and, and his wife, which you remember, um, because now they get killed, and like Adam pointed out just a minute ago, they died in the way that her wedding party said that they were going to kill her if she didn't give him the information from the riddle. So it all comes back, and she ends up dying that very same way, as along with, with her father, too. It was wrong for them to do that uh, to Samson's wife and her dad. And at the end of the day, all it did was enrage Samson more. And Samson seems to just want the fighting to be done with. He vows to take revenge, and then after that, he says he'll quit. The Philistines thought they were delivering a blow by killing Samson's wife and her dad, his estranged wife. 
but all it did was cause his wrath to come upon them once again. So verse 8 is interesting. I don't know exactly what it means that he struck them with hip and thigh. Some commentators think it's like talking about a wrestling technique, but I'm not sure. Whatever it is, it ends up being a great blow. It ends up being a great blow. He whoops them up. In other words, he wipes the floor with them, and then he goes to this place called Etam. And we're made to think of the glory of the Lord here. Um, again, remember, like, although Samson is the actor in this that we're seeing doing all these many things, our focus is on the fact that God is working here. That that's what we should be seeing, even in our own lives, when we're when we're dealing with things in our lives. How is God working in this situation? Well, here in this situation, look what God has done. By one man, He's began to save the Israelites from the Philistines. In Exodus 33, bless you, Moses had to hide in the cleft of a rock as the glory of the Lord passed by him. And we're seeing through Samson here the glory of Yahweh, the Most High God, who does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Now he's in this cleft of this rock here at Edom. But the Philistines haven't learned their lesson. They should be packing up their bags and leaving out of the promised land right now. That would be the wise thing for them to do. But that's not what they're thinking. Let's look at what happens next at verse 9. It says, Then the Philistines came and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson as due to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at him and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. Just really quick here, too. Think again about you know Samson's in the cleft of the rock. Moses was in the cleft when the glory of the Lord passed for him. This deliverance that Samson is bringing here is glorifying the Lord. And here's God's people while Samson is in the cleft of this rock and they come to him and say, don't you know the Philistines are rulers over us? Wake up. Don't you know God is the true God? You're in a covenant with him? But they're just so blinded by their sin. So verse 12 they said to him, we have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and, and give you into their hands. We will not surely kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. And then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put his hand on it, and took it, and with it he struck 1,000 men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down 1,000 men. As soon as he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called ramath Lehi. Yeah, Adam? So, why was Samson in the cleft of the rock when he has a house? He's just living in a cave for several days. I, I, I think because He's we're wanting to see the... He's wanting to he's he's wanting it to be over, right? He says he wanted to quit, do this, and then quit. But I think also too the imagery of you know before this Moses goes to the cleft and the glory of the Lord. So it communicates to us something that this is what God is doing for His glory. He's preserving His people. So you have to know you know what comes before to kind of to see these things. So the Philistines are humiliated, and so now they come looking for revenge, and they want. Israel, the men of Judah, to give up Samson. You would think Israel would stand up for their guy, right? Uh, that's not the way that it goes. They, in their sin, would rather subject themselves to the world rather than be separated from the world. So you see how bad it's got in here. So now they take 3,000 men to approach Samson. This, this is a, the betrayal of Samson. 
apparently they know what he can do, right? Like why in the world do you bring 3,000 men to go get one person? Unless you know this man is terrifying. and He can do some terrible things to you. Now you would think that these 3,000 men could have stood up to the Philistines even. But that's not where their head is, not where their heart is. Here are the people of God siding with the enemies of God. People of God are siding with the enemies of God rather than siding with this man who is empowered by the Spirit to deliver them. How does that happen? They're all broken. Uh, happens today as well. Uh, you know, people often fear man rather than fearing God. And the Bible says a lot about that. It says that we shouldn't fear man, especially for us as Christians right now. Uh, we're not to fear man. Because we should fear God, who is able to not only destroy the body, but also the soul and cast it into hell forever. The worst thing a, a man could ever do to you as a Christian is just is kill you. You know, I mean, harm the ones that you love. But God is to be feared much more than any man is. And so you think of the early church when the church first began. And they were commanded to stop spreading the gospel, to stop talking about God. And they, they couldn't do it because they had to obey God over men. And we have um, similar things like that going on today even that, that are happening for us right now with all of the COVID stuff and the churches closing over COVID. And you have in places in the West, even Westernized areas of uh, cultures like in Canada, supposedly free countries where churches are just not meeting. And the churches that are meeting, now they're being shut down by the government. And so what are they going to do? Are they going to continue to meet or are they going to listen to the government? And so... The vast majority of churches in Canada have said, we're just going to do what you want, government. And a small handful has said, we're going to continue to meet. I heard at one point, either 78 churches or only 68 churches out of all in Canada have remained open and are willing to meet. That's like a drop in the bucket. So, you were going to say something? Oh, I was going to say, that's what I think James Cook said. That. I'm not sure who said it. Because I'm shocked how... Yeah, I don't remember hearing it on that episode. I did listen to that episode. I heard it a little bit before that. But um, barely any, right? And so, I mean, this sort of thing happens today still. Uh, it happens as well um, because people love their sin more than they love the God that they profess to know. And so the church is an interesting group. I mean, the church is the people of God. The church is people who are in covenant with God. We say technically the new covenant. But the reality is not everyone that's in the church is actually in the new covenant. Because people who are truly saved, they're not going to turn from the Lord. They're not going to do, they're not going to choose their sin without repenting over it and choose their sin more than they would choose God. But that does happen among God's people. And those people are wolves, they're false teachers. Sec Peter writes about it, Second Peter chapter 2 where it says that just like it happened in the past where false prophets were among you, in our day, false teachers would be, come among you and they would deny even the master that bought them. Not that they were really purchased by Christ, but they're professing to be purchased by Christ. And yet by their actions, by their choices, they side with the world, they choose the doctrines of the world, and they deny the master that bought them. So that's a good well, point, like right? The same way that those three thousand men came to Samson, like this is your fault that they're mad at us. That's absolutely the case. So you have churches not only that have shut down to listen to what the world says in this time, but you, then some of them—that's bad enough. 
but then some of them are even using their voice to condemn the churches that are staying open. So it's, it's clear they have betrayed their God to side with the world. And when a person is like this, you know, they would rather have peace with the world over peace with God. And so Israel here, they timidly approach Samson, and Samson agrees to let them give him over to the Philistines as long as they don't kill him themselves, which is crazy, right? Because the Philistines are intent. I know. The Philistines are intent on killing him. So they bind him up with two new ropes, and they deliver him over to the Philistines. Got to go quick here for time's sake. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord rushes on him once again, just like with the lion. And when he took out those 30 men, and the ropes just pop off his arms. He's like the Incredible Hulk. He just busted through him so fast. And then he pursues those who are going to kill him. And then out of the corner of his eye, perhaps, as he's probably charging these Philistines, a jawbone of a donkey catches his eye. A fresh jawbone still has some of the skin on it and still decomposing a little bit. And so he's fresh. It's not brittle. It's true. It's stronger because of that. So it's not dried out and would break. But also, too, he's violating his Nazarite vow once more. He must think to himself that, oh, that's a good weapon. And with it, he kills a thousand people, we read. Or either if that's a literal number, I'm not sure. Or maybe it's like a metaphorical number to mean like he killed a lot, a lot of people. I'm not sure. Sometimes the Bible speaks like that. But then he makes up this little poem, which was another way of just sticking it to the Philistines. In the Hebrew, the word heaps and donkey are spelled the same way. So it's kind of like taking this final jab at them through this little poem that he does. Taking a little, a fun, he kicks them while they're down, in other words. Uh, what's another name for a donkey? Um, what's another name for a donkey? I am impressed. Is there another name for a donkey besides Burrow? An ass. Okay, I just want somebody to say it before me. So another name... For a donkey is an ass, and so and so um, Edmund Clowney says it could be translated like this: With the jawbone of an ass, I have assassinated my stallions. So he is he's he's sticking it to him, kind of in another in another way. So Samson is a fool, right? I mean, he's just whooped them, and now he's kind of kicking them while they're down. What's that? That's what they I'm saying. literally were like, no, we're going to go to Samson instead of doing what they should have done. Well, and let's think about that with the context of churches and, and state right now. If all the churches in Canada said, you know what, we're going to meet and we're going to be open, what is the state going to do? Nothing. There would be too many people. They would have to you know, observe the laws that they have in place. But instead, just like with these Israelites and you know, well, churches today, they are – That is the same mentality yeah. in a negative aspect. And the good thing to do, like if, you know, if people who are wanting to be righteous and good citizens could go stand in front of those businesses, you know, if, sometimes you have to come to a place of protecting your city too. But that takes wisdom and it's more than what we're going to um, for tonight at least. So he throws the jawbone down on this hill, a place called Ramath. Lahi. I'm going to save application for this section for just a moment. Uh, it's a Combine it with the application from the last section. So let's read the last part. Verse 18. And he was very thirsty. And he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. Shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore the name was called En Hakore. 
and it is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. So Samson is now tired. And for the first time we read, he calls upon the Lord. Samson just had the spirit rush upon him in the other instances. This is, and he just acted. But this is the first time now when he's calling out to the Lord. And he kind of has this weird prayer life. He's not very humble or reverent. No matter how amazing it is, the things that God does in you, it's not a good idea to approach God like this. But God is gracious and patient, and he saves Samson here. The Savior is saved by the true Savior, right? And finally, Samson is recognized as a judge for the first time by the people, and he judges Israel for 20 years, but no peace, right? We don't read there being any peace, no rest in the land. We don't read that. Samson is only beginning to save Israel. So then a way of application, what are, we, what are we learning in this text? How is this narrative pointing us to Christ and to rest in Christ and be satisfied in him? Well, number one, God is always at work. He is working through all of the wild and crazy that Samson is. God is working, and he's meaning to bless and sanctify those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Specifically in our passage, he's preserving the nation of Israel, the Son of God, because the divine Son of God, true Israel himself, what Hosea 11.1 calls Jesus, is true Israel, he'll be born into this people group that he might save those chosen in him from before the foundation of the world. And he is still saving those people chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And so we can be certain that God is always at work in each of your lives. God is at work no matter the situation. And you need to be aware of that. He's at work in the lives of people who do love him, and he's at work in the lives of people who don't love him. Even and those people aren't even aware of it. But you love the Lord, and so you need to know that nothing is outside of his control. He is working to bring about his will in your life. That's why we're even instructed in Jesus' instruction on how to pray, that we're supposed to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one of the ways that he's always working even through difficult situations, and this is especially true in the case of the person who has God uh, revealed to himself and, and who is being revealed to, is that he is working to help us know and love Christ all the more. He does that even for us in our passage tonight. Isn't Samson's betrayal familiar? There's another and even more popular savior and deliverer than Samson, who is also betrayed, right? Samson is approached by his own people and then delivered over to pagans to be killed, to be executed, to be put to death, just so that they could live the kind of life that they wanted to live. It's not much different than what happened to Christ Jesus. He, Jesus was betrayed by one of his own, a disciple even, albeit a false one, but one who was close to him. And then he was delivered up to the Sanhedrin, again, the Jewish leaders, the, the, the people from his you know, own possession, that, uh, the, the, the 12 tribes. And they, these Jewish rulers, they collectively give him over to the Gentiles. And certainly, those Jews who handled Jesus over meant it for evil, but God used it for good because Jesus was going to defeat death by dying himself there upon the cross. The Jews, they wanted to live according to what they thought was right, and not according to what the true king, Jesus, told them was right. You remember when Pilate asked the Jews, if Jesus was their king. And you remember what they said? They said, we have no king but Caesar. That's just what the Jews are doing here in our story with Samson. They said, the Philistines are rulers over us. Samson, why did you do this? They, they missed who the real king was. 
So Samson is pointing us to and reminding us of Jesus, but Samson, of course, doesn't die himself in order to deliver his people. Don't ruin it, Adam. You already tried to earlier. <laughs> Chapter 16, when, when we will see that imagery given. Um, but he still does save through death. In this case, through a dead donkey. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Not going to spoil it. Yeah. No, no. So Samson doesn't die, but he well in this chapter. <laughs> no, you spoiled it. No, I know. Not for it. So he Wait, still. Samson's gonna die. <laughs> you guys are great. So it's not by his death that he defeats death, but it's with the dead donkey that he defeats death. And then when he's done, he throws the jawbone down. When he's done, and he is on a hill, and that hill is named then Ramathlehi. Samson defeats death by a dead donkey, and the place where he does it is named the Hill of the Jawbone. Jesus on the cross defeats death with his own death. And where was that at? The Hill of Skull. That's another hill um, that we read in Luke's Gospel. Yeah. So Samson is a type of Christ. He's showing us in veiled form how God is going to deliver us from death. Will we trust God or will we side with the world? But then finally, we're made to see that all we need, that we are, excuse me, that we all need the Lord through the example of Samson. Not a single one of us in this room will do something as amazing as the kind of legendary things that Samson has done. Some of you guys might go on to do some truly great and amazing things for God's glory, and I hope you do. Uh, but you'll always need the Lord no matter what it is that you do. Simply living a faithful and quiet life is actually an amazing feat. Only capable, excuse me, only capable by the grace that God desire, that God supplies. But no matter what we do, we mustn't forget that we need the Lord always. It's a good thing when the Lord brings us low and he shows us our weakness so that his strength may be known. His grace is sufficient for us. His power is perfected in our weakness. And even the good things that we do, we should also see that, that the good things that we do for God, that's the Lord working through us for his own glory. We should give him the glory and glorify him every opportunity that we get. Samson sees this even with all of his flaws. He says, you, God, have granted the salvation by the hand of your servant. And so what was the Lord's response? And Samson was humbled and he glorified God in, the, in his own weakness. It was for It was to save Samson. It was to give Samson water that he needed. It was to sustain him. God is, is so gracious, even though he didn't even do it in the best way. Like he was kind of irreverent the way that he approached God in that prayer. But God is gracious. God is patient with those that are in Christ. And so we know then, too, that we can go to God for grace and for mercy. That there's nowhere else that we could turn to for salvation. And then when we are saved, we could still continue to go to God because Jesus is our great high priest. So we could go to the throne of grace, to go to Jesus, in other words, himself, to find grace and mercy to help in our time of need. And so if you're thirsty for the Lord, if you desire him, then you can drink deep of Christ and be satisfied. Like Samson was here, like the woman at the well was instructed to by Christ. And then we can make the right and proper confession when it comes to the world, that we have no king but Christ. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we are amazed by your power and your might. Even though we see Samson doing these things, we know, Lord, that truly it was you. That this is, these aren't the types of the types of things that a man could do. Uh, these are the types of things that only you could accomplish through a person. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to always be aware of the ways in which you are working.
and that we would take every opportunity that we get to glorify your holy name, to say, no, no, it's not us who's done this. It's all God. Let us always be ready and willing to take the focus, take take the attention off ourselves, and to put it on you, for you are worthy of all glory and adoration. And we thank you for the gospel and for how you remind us of the victory that you've had over sin, not just sin in our own lives individually, but over the sin in all of your people's lives. And so help us, God, to be willing to be used by you in the telling of others of who you are, that your people might be drawn out from the darkness that we too once were in and and loved and enjoyed. We thank you for showing us how much greater you are than this world and pray that you would help us to not be deceived by this world and the thing, the love of the world and the things that are in it. Help us instead to look at everything through uh, the mind of Christ that you have given to us for your glory's sake. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.